May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. All of us misplace things sometimes. Some of us are better at misplacing things than others. We do it often. And usually a person who is an often misplacer marries someone who is an occasional misplacer. You know, the one who misplaces things all the time marries somebody who doesn't misplace things very often at all. Did you lose your keys again? <laughs> um, did you check the counter, the bedside table, your coat? Yes, yes, yes. Um, then having offered a modicum of help, um, the occasional misplacer feels the need to instruct the frequent or habitual misplacer on ways to avoid uh, such behavior. You know, if you put things where they belong every time, they would always be where you expect them to be. And if you, if you are a person who is the habitual misplacer, you might mock um, this lecture with a five-year-old type, not that this has ever happened at the home of your rector. Um, my, my spouse and I, we get along just as, uh, splendidly and, and amazingly, but you know, so that might happen in some places. I was watching this British detective show the other day, and um, one of the inspectors was uh, investigating a crime, and he's in the, hall, in the room, the bedroom of this young girl, and um, he finds this little box, it's like the size of a cigar box, and her father says, it's her bits box, um, which I thought was a very British way of putting things. It's her bits box, it's, and, and it, inside of it there were things like a, a photograph and a, a spool of thread and a little bottle of perfume and rings and little little things, this and that, you know, little bits, and the things that she had kept and saved. Um, one of the reasons I can never find things is because I have scores of bits boxes. <laughs> I, I don't call them that. I call them something else. But I have all these little boxes of these things that I cannot throw away that I must have and I save. And so when I go to look for them, I can't find them, you know. And, and, um, and I go searching through and I'm rifling through all my little bits boxes. And, and um, I, you know, I might yell down the stairs like, um, honey, have you seen those... Um, those three golf balls I got at the Rotary Dinner last year with the little owl logo on them, and I can almost hear the head shaking from two flights away. I don't know if you've ever been in that. The problem if you're a saver, if you're a collector, if you keep all sorts of things, is that you can never find the things that you kept, you know, because you kept everything, and so you have to sort through everything as you're looking for it. But there is an upshot. There's an upshot to be a rat packer and a, and a habitual loser in the, that you have to go and hunt for things over and over again is that you also get the joy of discovering something that you had lost as if for the very first time. So you're going through all your little collections and you come around. I think there are a couple of you like this, right? And you go through and you pull out this photo and it's a photo of you and some friends that are maybe out golfing and maybe one of them had passed away a few months ago and, and you see it and you'd forgotten that photo even existed and you see it and you get to relive that moment and you're excited and it brings a sense of joy and delight. Or maybe you find an old baseball card and you make a little note, I need to check on the value of this baseball card this afternoon. You won't do that, but it's a good idea that you had thought about it and you stick it back in your little bits box and a favorite watch that has a broken band and it kind of got put off in the bits box someday when you were cleaning real quickly, you know, because you're having company or something and, and you put all your stuff away and, and then you see that watch and you think, oh, I'm going to fix that watch and start wearing it again. 
And it hasn't happened yet. And you're still thinking about that day when you fix that watch, it's going to happen. It's the beauty of finding things and rediscovering them. Oh, I'd forgotten all about this. And oh, happy day, I found it again. I don't think you're, you're not, I don't think I'm moving you to my side. But it is a wonderful feeling, it is. In Matthew's Gospel today, we have a sense of discovery. Um, magi coming from the east. And they come to Bethlehem, to the place where Jesus is, seeking, they say, for the one who was born king of the Jews. Um, we assume that there's three of them because they bring three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but it doesn't actually say that there were three of them. We don't know how many there were. Maybe there were lots of them. Maybe they built lots of frankincense and lots of gold and lots of myrrh. Um, but we think that there are, and they're not really kings either. The song calls them kings, but the text calls them magi. Matthew calls them magi. And I don't know if you know that magi in antiquity, what kind of men they were, but they were, um, they were people who practiced things that were forbidden by Israelite religion. They were sorcerers. Um, they were believed to be able to cast magic spells. Even the fact the word magic comes from magi. But these were people who were believed to be, um, have these kind of dark arts of magic. Uh, they were also astrologers. They told fortunes by the stars. And so they would, um, they would read the stars and, and tell fortunes based upon that. Mostly they were also from the east. They were Gentiles from either Persia, which would be modern-day Iran, or more likely from Babylon, modern-day Baghdad in Iraq. Um, and they were hated by the Israelites. They were, they were enemies. And here they are coming to Israel, to Bethlehem, to find the one that they call the king of the Jews. What's more is that they practices, these practices that I have mentioned are condemned by the Hebrew scriptures. Listen to this from Leviticus 19. You shall not interpret dreams or tell fortunes. Uh, Deuteronomy 18. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his sons or daughters as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a wizard or a necromancer, whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Isaiah 47, you, have, you, have, you are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens and gaze at the stars, who at the new moon uh, make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. All throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, these sorts of people are condemned and their practices are condemned and they're not to be practiced among the people of Israel. And so maybe you say, all right, so what's your point? <laughs> My point is this. These are not the people who are supposed to be showing up at the party. They're the wrong sort of people. They're not the kind of people who should be there at the birth of Jesus. Not only are they Gentiles, but they're pagan sorcerers. They're the worst sort. They practice things that are condemned by the scriptures. So how is it that they get to the place where Jesus is born? How do they get from the place where they live to the right spot? And you say, I know. I read the text, or at least I heard it a moment ago. They saw his star. Don't you think it odd? That the scripture condemns the use of astrology, and yet this is the very thing that God uses to draw them to Israel. To draw them to the place where Jesus is born. They're the wrong sort of people. They get there the wrong way, and yet it is impossible to deny that it is the work of God that draws them. 
Today is a major celebration in the life of the church, the epiphany of our Lord. Some know it as the longer name, the, epiphany, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ um, as the Savior of the Gentiles. Epiphany means an unveiling or a revealing or a, a manifestation. It's a moment of discovery. when it's, a, it's an aha moment, isn't it? I mean, you may even, I, I would encourage you, use this word in your, um, in your discourse throughout the season of epiphany. Oh, I just had an epiphany this morning. I think that we should buy, um, you know, hazelnut cream for a coffee. Something, I don't know how you use it, but use it in a way, an, a, a revelation, an aha, a, a, oh yeah, there's this. And what is the revelation? What is the epiphany that we recognize and we celebrate? It's first of all this. That Jesus Christ came not just as the king of the Jews, but as the king of the whole world. That he came for all of us. That we are all included in the Israel of God. That we have been brought into this saving work of God. That God, through Jesus Christ, fulfills the promise to Abraham. Through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. This means that he came for me and for you. That you have been selected and chosen by God. Loved by God. That you are that little um, treasure in the bit box that he sees and says, Aha, yes! That one. Loved, wanted, chosen, kept, preserved, too valuable to throw away. You are too valuable to throw away. I hope that sort of sinks in and maybe like sits with you the rest of the day. That you are too valuable to God to throw away. Cherished, loved, wanted. Kept by Him as a treasure. The second part of the epiphany, though, is that it reminds us of our work. Our mission, which is really God's work, God's mission in the world. And that is that we are to go through all the bit boxes, aren't we? To find all the forgotten treasures. And to remind them that they too are part of God's saving work. That they are not uh, unimportant. That they are important and valuable and wanted. That we are to go into the world and make disciples. That we're not to isolate ourselves from the world. We're not to congratulate ourselves on our own holiness. But we are to integrate with the world and get into the world and to remind the world that God loves them. That God loves people and that all are valuable. I think that, um, that we live in a very divided world. We live in a world that's very um, this or that. You're, you're in this group or that group. You're, um, you know, whatever, whatever. And that's un it's unhelpful. It, it makes us think of people as more or less valuable. But God is not like that at all. Not like some celestial kickball captain, if I can change the metaphor for a minute. Remember kickball in the playground? You know, you, you got lined up all the kids and then, oh, we want this guy and then we want this guy and we want this girl, we want that girl. And then there's the last people chosen. If you want to know what it's like, we'll have lunch sometime, I'll tell you. Um, yeah, you're the, at the end of the line, you know, not really sure that you're going to contribute. These people are wanted and loved by God. He's not like that at all. He wants the skilled and the clumsy, the big and the strong and the small and the weak. Our mission is to go into the world and make disciples of all people. I'm guessing that if there had been religious professionals at the door the day that the, that the magi show up, can you imagine, you know, they knock at the door and there's a, a religious professional there, a, a gatekeeper, and they go to the door, you know, um, 
maybe uh, straighten up their collar and the robe and whatnot and uh, look out and they say, I'm, I'm sorry, fellas, but you're not the right sort of people, you know. Um, if you want to confess your sin of sorcery and wizardry and change all those funky wizard clothes and um, maybe uh, submit to ancient Jewish rites, uh, yes, we'll let you in then. Thank God there was nobody like that at the door. We do a good job guarding the gates. And sometimes I think maybe too good of a job. Some of you live very orderly lives. Those of us who don't envy you. We envy your ability to put things in its place and keep it there and know where everything is. We're glad that we have you around in our lives because we don't know what we would do without it. We would be searching for things all the time. But there is something that the haphazards among you also want you to know. That there's real joy in discovery. Finding something that is valuable that you'd forgotten all about. And maybe that's the epiphany we can all enjoy this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.